0: 2 Timothy chapter 1 uh, verse number 8 reading down through verse number 18 Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and hath called us with an holy calling not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that they all which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are phygellus and hermogenous. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the wonderful music and for this new day in which we might learn from your word and uh, learn for the ministry that you've given to each of us. Bless this time in your word today. Help me as I preach. Fill me with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Every pastor that I speak to across America is concerned for the future of this country without revival. Every discerning Bible college student who looks even at the news or spends some time observing the culture would also share the same concern that without revival, America is headed for more and more difficult days. And many of us, while we're concerned for the country in general, are also concerned for the spirit that has come into various churches, churches that once stood for the truth, now beginning to soften in their position. Many are concerned over what some would call the Laodicean spirit that has come into the churches today. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment and consider with me how the Apostle Paul must have felt all the way back in the first century. And I want you to consider as he was sitting under official Roman persecution in that Mamertine prison under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing his very last letter before his life would be given as a sacrifice and in martyrdom. Imagine if you could how he must have felt in his day. The prison where he was located was 12 feet underground. It was comprised of two underground cells. The lower cell held the prisoners who were on death row, as was the Apostle Paul. This was not a prison meant for prolonged imprisonment. In fact, it was for those upon whom execution was imminent. The only door in the cell connected to the sewers, and it was for the purpose of trash or for the purpose of those who had died throwing their body down into the sewer. I cannot imagine a more difficult place. And when I stood in the Mamertine prison years ago in the city of Rome and considered that the great Apostle Paul spent his last hours in that place, it was truly a foreboding sense to understand what he must have felt as he wrote the book of Second Timothy. We think not only of the prison of the Apostle Paul, but then I think about some of the people that surrounded him. We hear words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 such as, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And sometimes uh, older pastors will see that in their congregation, and sometimes even with college students who literally seem to forsake the very rootedness that was given to them in their earlier life. He says here in the passage in verse 15, he said, All of those in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. Uh, These were uh, those from which cowardice was the least expected. He perhaps never thought that they would leave the faith. And it seems today that in every church and from every Bible college and uh, in every walk of life that there are those that are going AWOL spiritually. And so it was with the Apostle Paul. He was there in this dark prison. He had on his mind people like Demas and, and people that are mentioned, Phagellus and Hermogenes. And, and we know that there were some. This text tells us that there was Onesiphorus who often refreshed him. Thank God for church members and college students who are refreshing and who are faithful in their spirit no doubt he would have thought of Titus over on the island of Crete and one of the preachers that he had trained that was standing true and and uh, avoiding the compromise that was being brought upon so many uh, by the Roman empire of that day and so it is that Paul is here in this prison with the thoughts of these people on his mind and he is now writing the last words that he would ever write on planet earth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now Paul could have written this this letter to a church. He could have written it to a group of churches. And I find it very interesting that rather than addressing this to the church at Ephesus or to the church at Corinth, for example, he now is going to address his final letter to one younger man. He is going to give his last words not to a whole bunch of people, but to one singular person, a man that he had known for 20 years, a man that he had met in the first place probably as a teenager, and the apostle now gives his last words to one single man. And he says amazing things to him, even in this chapter. For example, he says in verse number 8, Be thou therefore not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the stigma of being a Christian. Don't be ashamed of those of us who've gone before you and don't put your head down, but be thankful uh, for your heritage. And may I say this morning, students, you ought to be thankful for your home pastor and missionaries and youth conference speakers and those uh, independent Bible-believing Baptist preachers that have helped you so far in your life. Don't be ashamed of their testimony. Thank God for their testimony. And this is what Paul says. Timothy, don't be ashamed of your heritage. He says other words such as, Hold fast, Timothy. Keep uh, these things that have been given to you. Be strong, Timothy. Endure uh, uh, these hardnesses. Uh, I charge thee, therefore. In other words, he's not giving suggestions, but he's challenging Timothy to take his stand in his day. And in Paul's final days... And in these final words, he shows us what uh, we can offer uh, even to our generation, what I can offer to your generation, what you can offer to the generation coming behind you. There's some tremendous reminders that in the midst of a corrupting culture and in the day of a compromising church, there still can be young men who take their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? How would Paul have Timothy to take his stand? I want to give you this morning three lessons for spiritual leaders, three ways to take your stand in the day in which we live. I believe, first of all, that Paul would have Timothy to stand with biblical confidence. He wanted him to stand with confidence. There would be overwhelming difficulties face him, and yet God's word would help him along the way. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. We are ministering in an era where marijuana has been legalized now in several states, uh, uh, boys are allowed to walk into girls' bathrooms in California if they just feel that day like maybe they are a girl that day. Uh, legalized uh, homosexual marriages across the nation now, uh, the law has been passed. And even on our governor's desk in California, there's a law currently that uh, would disallow even Christian ministries to fire employees for adultery and homosexuality and illicit behavior. A- and by the way, uh, the fact of the matter is that God's Word is the final authority in these areas, but we live in a culture that hates God's Word. And so laws are being passed daily to discriminate against the churches. And sometimes it's rather overwhelming. Sometimes we we uh, can feel as though we're outnumbered, if you will. And yet, I want you to notice what Paul says to Timothy in verse 10. Uh, he says, But is now made manifest uh, uh, by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher. Uh, Timothy had a model in the Apostle Paul, a man who was confident in his calling, a man who said, I am appointed as a preacher. And he wanted to remind Timothy of this great appointment, of this great calling. The word appointment means to be set in place. And did you know that God has a place for you, every one of you, young men and young women, God has a place for you, and He wants to set you in a place uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful and put me into the ministry. Hey, I'll tell you something. You ought to wake up every morning and say, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy of it, but I'm so thankful that You've put me into Bible college and You're putting me into a place of ministry. I'm thankful to tell you that last year of the 222 graduates of West Coast Baptist College, every one of them graduated without student loans and with a place to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there are churches and Christian schools and and Christian camps and foreign mission fields that are crying out and asking uh, for someone to come and serve and teach them more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm thankful that God has put me into the ministry. He was confident in his calling. His calling is mentioned there in verse 11. He says, I am appointed a preacher. And I love that word. It's the Greek word keruk, And it means one who loudly uh, declares with authority the truth of the word. Of God, And at the heart of local church ministry is this matter of declaring the truth of the Word of God and rightly dividing the Word of God and preaching the truth of God's Word into our society today. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 to Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His, appear- at his appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, reprove. Rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come. Now listen. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And shall be turned unto fables. Now young men you understand that time has come. And people today are turning away from doctrine. And they're turning away from preaching. And they want someone that will tickle their ears with maybe just some funny things or... Maybe just some music. They don't want to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And as that time has come when men are seeking those uh, that would simply tickle their itching ears, God says, Timothy, in the midst of that, I want you to preach the Word of God, stand up and declare my Word with authority. Paul said, I've been called to be a preacher. I've been called to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and 24. He said, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, there's nothing greater than testifying about Jesus Christ, nothing greater than telling others about Christ and seeing them turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing God change their life. I was sitting at a table about four weeks ago, and I was talking to a man after a after a ceremony that I'd attended, and just sharing the gospel with him. He was from Jordan, and he'd had some Islamic background and also some Catholicism and kind of a mixed-up background, and I began to talk to he and his wife, Tony and Marla, about the Lord Jesus and about what our church teaches and, and uh, what we believe about the death, burial, and resurrection, what we believe about the deity of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was. And uh, I shared with them about the exclusive claim of Christ when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father except by Me. And I put them on a little list I have, and I keep a list uh, that all of you should have as well. It's called my soul-winning prospect list. It's people that I meet along the way that maybe didn't get saved right away, but I don't want to give up on them. I want to write them a letter or make a phone call or kind of talk to them along the way about knowing the Lord. And I called them for three weeks, and they couldn't come to church three weeks in a row. They had a wedding, they had this, they had that. But thank the Lord, last Sunday they came, and they sat right over here on my left. And as I began to preach the gospel, I could see that God was working. I could see it in their faces. I could see that uh, they were looking at one another and nodding. and, And I could sense that the Lord was working. We took them over to the Point Restaurant after church. And I tell you, after we talked about uh, where they were from and what they did for a living, I began to talk to them about eternity. And I said, Tony, do you know for sure that if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven? And I began to preach, if you will, the gospel to that couple. And oh, what a blessing it was after about 30 minutes of just going through various verses in the plan of salvation to hear that couple pray and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a wonderful thing to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was confident in his calling that he was called to be a preacher. And may I say, as you're at West Coast Baptist College, let God fine-tune these things in your heart. Find that place uh, and find that area of service. And then find that physical place where you can go and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he said, I'm confident in my calling. But then I want you to know, secondly, he was confident in his cause. And I want you to see this. It says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. For the which cause I suffer these things. Here was a man who was not Just living out a career. But he was living with a cause. And his cause was the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need churches today that have a cause greater than themselves. Greater than the temporal. Greater than just gathering together. But who have a cause. The cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what he says about his cause. He says, for the which cause, notice this, I also suffer these things. I also suffer these things. I want you to see his heart this morning. Here was a man that said I'm I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to uh, pay the price, Paul said in Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labor is more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews five times received I stripes save one thrice was I beaten with rods once I was stoned thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day I've been in the deep in journeyings often in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils of mine own countrymen in perils by the heathen in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and in thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things which are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, he said there's been a lot of suffering in this ministry but my cause is worth the suffering. I don't know about you, I thank God for men who suffer for our country. I thank God for police officers who suffer when they rush into the line of fire in places like Las Vegas, Nevada. But more than anything, I thank God for men who stand in the pulpit and when there's whining and complaining uh, when there's uh, folks that aren't getting along, when there's difficulty, when the bills are high, uh, when people like Demas are forsaking them I'm thankful for preachers who live for the cause of Christ and do not quit. And You've got to get that in your heart. I'm going to live for the cause of Christ. It's a cause worth suffering for. John Huss in 1417 was burned at the stake as he was unwilling to recant his faith in Jesus Christ alone. John Philpot in 1555 was burned by Bloody Mary for his faith in Jesus Christ alone. Philpott said as he was dying, I am ready, God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. And he quoted Psalm 106, Psalm 107 and Psalm 108 as the flames leapt up upon his body and he died for the cause of Jesus Christ. Christ. and many 21 and 22 and 23 year olds today are living for the cause of self and they're switching from place to place position to position job to job friend to friend trying to please self I'm going to tell you my friend there's no greater cause in life than the cause of Jesus Christ living for the master. Paul said, I, I know that I've got a calling. I'm called to preach. I know that I've got a cause. It's a cause worth suffering for. He said, it's a cause worth waiting for. You know, sometimes in Bible college, you feel like, man, I remember Brother Getz, my freshman year went fairly quickly and sophomore wasn't bad. But at the beginning of my junior year, I thought, I'm never going to graduate. This just takes so long. And it felt like I was waiting. Then now, as a pastor, I thought, oh, man, when are we going to get some property? And when are we going to get an auditorium? And when am I going to get an office? And, and it seemed like we never would build the Walther Center. When's that going to get built? And all these things, it seems like you wait and you wait. But I want you to see what Paul says about waiting in verse 12. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, there's some things while I'm waiting for that day, there's some things that I know. And I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, I'm fully convinced, that while I cannot keep myself saved... That He is able to keep that which I committed unto Him that day. How many of you are glad salvation is not left up to you? That God is holding you in His hands today. And that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God. And never be ashamed of being a Baptist. And never be ashamed of the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed. Peter said in First Peter 1 and verse 4, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice here in verse number 12, He said, Which I have committed unto Him against that day. This phrase, that day, is the idea of the time beginning with the rapture, leading into the great day of the Lord, and ultimately into all of eternity. He said, I'm looking for that day. Oh, I want you to understand, the songwriter had it right when he said, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon His face. Let me tell you something, students. It may seem like you're waiting a while, and life feels that way sometimes. But what a day that will be when we see Jesus Christ. And if you live your life for the cause of Christ, that's going to be a happy day. And if you live your life for the cause of self, that's going to be a sorrowful day. Paul said, listen, he said, I I want to challenge you, Timothy. Live your life with biblical confidence. I want you students to know you're not looking at a man who feels like, Oh, the, the best days of fundamentalism are past and the best days of ministry are gone. Oh, let's just hold on to the end. I want you to understand something. I am confident of the fact that God has called me to preach. He's still calling young men to preach. I'm well aware there's going to be those Demises that forsake the cause of Christ. But I believe there are men even in this room who are going to take their stand and be a soul winner and be a preacher of the gospel and raise up a church in a community somewhere that supports missionaries and that encourages others and that makes a difference and you're going to do it with confidence knowing that it's a cause worth living for it's the cause of Jesus Christ and so Paul says to Timothy I want you to be biblically confident Timothy confident in your calling confident in the cause but then secondly he says Timothy I want you to be biblically conforming I want you to be a man that is biblically conforming. Would you notice in verse 13, the Bible says these words, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. One of the messages that I pray over the most each year is the graduation message. Years ago, some of the staff said we'd like you to preach the graduation message every year. And it's an honor, and it's a special privilege, and and uh, and I always ask, Lord, what, what could I say? What, what's the last thing I could say to a graduating class from West Coast Baptist College? They've heard 79,000 sermons. They've heard lots of dorm devos, and who knows what all else. And I suppose that this text here, this very verse would be a wonderful text. If I were to say to you at graduation, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus would you read that verse with me verse number 13 ready to begin hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me here we see that Timothy was being challenged to a biblically conforming life and we see the phrase here hold fast the form of sound words or the pattern of the words You see, the Word of God becomes a pattern. It is a pattern of doctrine. And the form that is mentioned here is like a sketch or it is like an outline. The sound words then become a pattern of doctrine that Paul had given to Timothy. Paul had given to the churches. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to hold on to that doctrine. I want you to hold on to those sound words. And when a church is living according to the outline of sound doctrine, uh, then it is a sin to digress from that sound doctrine when they have been given sound doctrine. So Paul said, Timothy, hold on to the doctrine that I have given to you. And biblical churches will take a similar form if they follow and apply Biblical principles. So all of the churches that are represented in this room, they're not all exactly the same, but they are very similar in their faith, in their practice, in their heart for souls, in their heart for missions, in their belief about Jesus Christ. Why? Because your pastor and this pastor are holding fast to the faith Uh, to the doctrine, and it doesn't matter if you're from Canada or, or if you're from Korea or if you're from China or if you're from Montana, New York or Florida, aren't you thankful that all of us serve the same Savior and all of us have been given the same doctrine from the Word of God? And the Bible says that we are to conform to the Word of God, Titus 1 and nine, holding fast the faithful word as He hath been taught, that He may be able both by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Romans 16:17, "Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them." Someone says, "Hey, let's just get together and have a have an ecumenical meeting. Now we don't believe in eternal security or we don't really believe in soul winning. We don't really believe in the King James Bible. We don't uh, we don't really believe in these particular portions from John's Gospel or Mark's Gospel." You know what you need to understand, my friend, is that you and I have a biblical command that we're not to walk with those whose doctrine is contrary to the word of God. Say, well, I think they're good people. They may be good people. They may bring you apple pie on Friday night. That doesn't mean you have to fellowship in the sense of the Word of God with them. You see, God says, I want you to follow the pattern of doctrine that has been given to you. And that pattern of doctrine will then establish a pattern of living. Now listen, young people, I want you to capture this. What you believe will determine how you behave. Let's say that together. What you believe will determine how you behave. One more time. What you believe will determine how you behave. That's why we talked last week about finding what you believe. Because it's obvious sometimes people leave a youth group or a college and they never really got grounded in what they believe because they're not behaving as Bible-believing Baptists. They're not really living it out. But if you have a pattern of sound doctrine, it's going to affect the way you ultimately live. Notice First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, How be it for the ca- this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering." Watch this, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him, life everlasting. God says, your life can become a pattern to show other people the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Would you say that, please? Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. One more time and louder. Be ye followers of me, even... How many of you would say, man, that is a sober statement? Okay. Imagine somebody walking into your dorm and saying, all right, all you guys in the dorm want you to follow me. I want you to imitate the way I'm living. Just exactly like me as I follow Christ. Paul said, follow me. Some people say, well, I don't believe in following a man. It's not about a man. No, it's not. But God uses men to lead us to Christ. And God is looking for some of you to follow the pattern of doctrine so that your life becomes a pattern that other people can follow and that other people can be led to Jesus because of the pattern in your life. How many of you understand that this morning? So that's why it really matters what you believe and how you behave. Because you don't want your life to lead somebody away from Jesus. You don't want them to get in your car and see things and hear things and go, oh, just like the unsaved people. I guess there's no difference. I guess I don't need Jesus. No, you want them to see your life and to see things in your life and things out of your life that are different. And you want people to see your life and say, I don't know what that guy has, but I need it in my life, you see. Because his faith is affecting the way he lives. It's real to him. Jesus is real to her. And so, a pattern of doctrine creates a pattern of living. Philippians three seventeen, brethren, be ye together, followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. And I'm thankful for those men in my life who had straight doctrine and sound doctrine, and then they had sound living coupled with it. I'm thankful for the wonderful life and the thundering preaching from this pulpit uh, from Doctor Tom Malone, and I'm thankful to God for the wonderful life and the powerful preaching. That I heard from Dr. Curtis Hudson And I'm thankful today For the wonderful life And the powerful preaching From Dr. Bobby Robertson And Dr. Don Sisk And I'm just simply here to tell you The patterns that I have followed Have not come from a smoke-filled stage uh, And a man with a modern Bible version I'm thankful for some men Who had good doctrine And a good life And they became a good pattern for me And I want to challenge you today You don't need to follow some man Whose doctrine is wavering And whose uh, shirt is un. And whose Bible's not the right Bible, you need to find some men with straight doctrine and a straight life and get in their draft and say, Thank God that I have some examples here. Thank God our vice president has memorized 13,000 verses and preaches sound doctrine to us. Thank God for men on this faculty And men like the man you heard preach yesterday About how to make right decisions What we're trying to do here Is give you the right doctrine And some right examples And we're not saying that we're perfect We're just saying Hey we've been blessed by those behind us uh, Who helped us to this point And we want to help you to the next point Why? Because Paul was in jail And he was about ready to die And Demas had left him And and Hermogenes had left him And Phagellus had left him And he's saying Timothy stay in your place and preach the gospel he said you have a pattern of the words and then he said secondly I want you to be the portrayal of the words and I want you to see something in verse 13 hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me notice this now in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus how do we portray our faith I believe it's important that we, look right here, that we who are committed to the fundamentals, if you're committed to the fundamentals of the faith, say amen. Amen. That we who are baptists if you're Baptist, say amen. amen. That we not only have the right position, but that we have it in faith and love. Frankly, I feel that sometimes young people in Bible college and younger men in the ministry, I feel that they are longing to see churches where great things are happening. Where there's people that have faith. And maybe sometimes some older preachers, maybe we can get negative or, oh, it's just, you know, we got to hold on and this type of thing. I-, I want you to understand something. We're not just holding on. Do you understand we'll, we'll have knocked on 70,000 doors by Saturday? Do you understand we're throwing out a big net? Do you understand I have no idea who's coming this Sunday? I know we spent a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of money. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to press on and do something great for God. And we want you to have faith and do something great for God. And he says, I want you to hold fast in faith. What are you doing today that demonstrates great faith? For whatsoever is born of God Overcometh the world And this is the victory that overcometh the world Even our faith And I challenge you as you pray Lord use me I think of the over 20 churches uh, That have called The names are on my desk And they need a pastor And some of you are going to graduate And it's going to take some faith To go out and preach the word of God And it's going to take some faith To go uh, to a mission field And it's going to take some faith To get your bill paid And to stay in Bible college But I want to challenge you That you not only have The right uh, pattern, but that you portray the ministry in great faith and then also in great love. Did you see that word? In faith and in love, which is in Christ Jesus. Look right here, students. Never misunderstand strong preaching as a lack of love. Many times it's the very presence of love. I have uh, nine grandchildren and I love each and every one of them. I think if I saw one of them going toward danger, I would put my life in the middle of them in danger because I love them. When someone stands and tells you that there are demuses. And uh, there, there are Phygelists who've defected. When someone stands and tells you to have the right doctrine and the right living and someone tries to give you a warning, that doesn't mean they're not loving. And it doesn't mean we're saying that every church is bad and every Christian is bad. What it does mean is that we're saying to you, Know the doctrine of the Word of God and stand with faith. And yes, have a loving spirit, but not a compromising spirit. Stand true for the Word of God. Stand in faith and in love. And I want to challenge you that you would love one another and that you would pray for one another and that you would have a loving spirit towards the lost as well. Years ago, I was over in London, England. If you ever get to London, England, there's a place there called Churchill's War Rooms. And I'm not an expert on history like Dr. Rasmussen. He can tell you who got buried at every Civil War burial ground and whose great uncle shot whose great niece or whatever, but... I'm not as strong in history, but I love history. And uh, I'm somewhat of a student of Winston Churchill. And I went into this underground war room beneath the treasury right across the street from the River Thames and down the pathway from the Buckingham Palace. And this is where Winston Churchill lived during World War II, in a bunker. They had his bedroom, his office, they had all the maps of Europe and in that museum I purchased a little booklet the little booklet simply was entitled instructions for American servicemen in Britain 1942 and I began to read that it said and I quote you are going to Great Britain as a part of an allied offensive to meet Hitler and to beat him on his own ground America and Britain are allies Here are some things to remember. Don't be a show-off. The British dislike bragging. Keep out of arguments. The British don't know how to make a good cup of coffee and you don't know how to make a good cup of tea. It's an even swap. It's always impolite to criticize your hosts. It's military stupid to criticize your allies. Remember, there's a war on. May I challenge you as God's soldiers to remember who the enemy is. The enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. There may be some with whom you cannot particularly fellowship, some with whom you'll pull pull away from because their doctrine is in error. One of our graduates called me this morning. He said, Brother Chapel, I recently was at a meeting and and he was telling me about it and he said, 'I, I didn't realize all that it was. I just wanted to get your counsel. He said, I feel like the Lord convicted me. I said, man, you don't have to apologize to me. He said, I just wanted to call you and, 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 and see if you sense, he said, some of the doctrine and some of the places where they're now going with their meetings. He said, it's not what I've been trained in. It's not what I believe. And, and uh, I said to him, I said, well, I'm so thankful that God's put this spirit of discernment in your heart. I said, but let me tell you, they're, they're not the enemy. You don't need to spend your life preaching against them, but you need to take your stand for God and for souls. And listen, you need to recognize that as you get out on the mission field, there's going to be uh, maybe some other Baptists there, some other independent Baptists in particular, serving and doing the work of God, maybe from a different mission board or whatever. May I tell you something? They're not your enemy. The devil's your enemy. Even when you have to separate from those that are perhaps uh, not living according to the doctrine of the Word of God, uh, even then, uh, take your stand, but move right forward, reaching souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Timothy, I want you to be biblically confident. I want you to be biblically conforming. I want you to be confident in the cause of the gospel and conforming to the pattern of doctrine. And then finally, I want you to see what he says this morning. I want you to be biblically continuing on. Notice in verse 14, the Bible says, That good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. He said, Timothy, I want you to continue with the gospel. That good thing, he said, that was given to you, the gospel, I want you to keep it. He said, that gospel that you were given, I want you to hold it. You see, that gospel must be given uh, to your generation, Timothy. Dr. Hudson often said the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. And and Timothy, you've got to keep on with the gospel message. First Thessalonians 2 and 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, Even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth the heart. Do you understand, students? The world does not need our technology. They do not need our vitamins. They do not need our detergent. They do not need some new health juice. They do not need our politics. The world needs Jesus. And if West Coast Baptist College will send forth world changers, the world will only be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we must continue with the gospel. And then we must continue in the in the power of the Spirit. Notice in verse 14, That good thing which was committed unto thee, that's the gospel, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This gospel calling, this gospel message, he said, hold on to it, Timothy. And I want you to hold on to it by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Students, one thing you must learn is that without the Holy Spirit's working, The ministry can never be accomplished. We cannot do ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit anything done in our own flesh is bound to fail miserably or to succeed even more miserably and fail down the road the Holy Spirit alone must empower us Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth there's only one way that you'll keep the gospel there's only one way that you'll spread the gospel and that is by the power of the Holy Holy Spirit of God and here we have a man in prison about ready to die no doubt rat infested and he's saying Timothy I know you're going to be pulled and I know some of you will be pulled and you'll get a job paying some money in college and the devil will say you don't need to be a missionary come and do this I just want to be the one to tell you keep your commitment that doesn't mean I'm against you that means I'm for you do you see what he said here he said keep that commitment Hold on to that commitment. Well, yeah, but you know, Pastor Chample, it's just the same. I've looked at some of the... No, 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 no. No, no, that Bible's not the same. Non-soul winning's not the same. I'm telling you right now, the fact of the matter is missions is not the same. The fact of the matter is the doctrine's not the same. Listen, I understand and I love folks uh, that go through various phases of their discovery. But the doctrine that you've been taught is biblical doctrine, Timothy. And Paul says, hold on to that doctrine. Don't let it go you be biblically confident in the cause of the gospel. you be biblically conforming, conforming through your doctrine and through your life. And you be biblically continuing in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a young boy, my parents were in the ministry. My dad was a preacher. My mom was a bus captain, amongst many other things. She, she was the director of the Sunday school and so many things. But my mom, for many years, was a bus captain. When I was seven, eight, nine, ten, I was her assistant bus captain. And uh, I remember, uh, as she would go out on bus calling, that I would go out with her, and she would knock on doors, and uh, and I would hold the the clipboard, and she would ask people. Are you able to ride the bus tomorrow? And if they said yes, they would. Look right up here, fellas. Then I would write down on the clipboard, and I would would say yes or no, and then that let the captain know where to go the next day. I was the assistant bus captain when I was eight years old. I want you to be impressed with that. (laughs) My mom was such an amazing Christian, such an amazing bus captain, that she never went out with one bus. She always went out every week with two buses. She filled two buses up every week, bringing boys and girls to church. I really think I learned mostly about soul winning from her. And some of you might know that over the last year or two, she's really been struggling with a disease called Alzheimer's disease. And if you've ever had a relative that has Alzheimer's, it's a truly sad, sad disease. My mom has a degree in English. She always proofread my books and corrected my grammar whenever I would preach, and just had a brilliant mind. But that mind's been fading. It's been slowly fading. In fact, when I went to see her this summer, she didn't know who I was. And uh, I introduced her to my wife, and, and uh, I said, Mom, this is Terry. And she said, Oh. She said, and-, and what's your name? And I said, It's Terry. And she couldn't, she couldn't keep the memory of it. I remember she was talking about my dad over in the other room. She looked at me and she said, that man over there is a nice man. He's nice to me. But she didn't know it was her husband. We were standing in the living room and our, some of our children and grandchildren were swimming in the backyard. She came up to me and she said, somebody needs to get those young couples in a good couples class so they can get grounded in their faith. Speaking of her own grandchildren, I wanted to be an encouragement to my parents. I was just there for a few days. And so on one occasion, I took them to In-N-Out Burger. I don't know any better place to be encouraged than In-N-Out Burger. We were all sitting there and just trying to find things to say. And as I was sitting there just talking for a minute with my dad, I looked out of the corner of my eye, and there was my mom. And she had taken from her purse gospel tracts. And she was going from table to table, and she was saying, Excuse me, if you died today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Excuse me, if you died today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? And I began to think to myself, they took her driver's license away. They took her credit cards away. All she can really put in that purse are tracks. And she doesn't know who I am and she doesn't know who my brother is, she doesn't know who my sister is. But she knows who Jesus is. And the one thing that she hasn't forgotten is that people need the Lord. And it seems to me that's the one thing that so many Christians have forgotten is that people need the Lord. That's why you surrendered to be a missionary in the 10th grade. That's why you came to Bible College. That's why God brought you here, because people need the Lord. And Paul said, Timothy, don't lose that biblical confidence. God has called you to preach. Timothy, don't forget to keep conforming to the Word of God. Timothy, keep growing in the Word of God. And and Timothy, whatever you do, continue with it. Keep it. Don't let people pull it away from you. Keep on keeping on with the gospel of Jesus Christ Students, may God raise up in this college Timothy's who will never forget that God has a purpose in their life and Timothy's who will always to the end of their life share the gospel of Jesus Christ.